right, well, I invite you, if you'd like, to turn to Exodus uh, chapter 20. We're going to read verses 8 through 11 and consider those same along with uh, a host of other passages throughout the Bible. But uh, the basis for what we're doing, we're working our way through the book of Exodus. We're up to the fourth commandment. We're going to read Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11, and take a look at them. So let's uh, pray, and then we'll read it and uh, uh, take some time to look at it. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the freedom that you've given us in the law. You've redeemed us from the curse of it by having Christ pay the debt that we owed you. It's all free of charge, and we praise you for your grace. And now you've shown us how it is that you've called us to live so that we will no longer be slaves to sin and to the passions of our flesh and to the world following after the devil, but we will indeed be those who are living lives of freedom in the freedom of your commandments. And so as we take a look at this fourth commandment, particularly the Lord's Day, we ask that you would uh, open our eyes to see things maybe we've not seen before or to be reminded of things that we've already known but need to be reminded of that we might grow in Christ and that any of us who are lost uh, may come to know you. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. All right, Exodus 20 at verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Thus far the reading of God's word tonight. May he bless it to our hearts and lives. So brothers and sisters of Hope Church and everyone with us here tonight or uh, listening, uh, the Jewish Saturday was called the uh, Sabbath day. Uh, Sabbath simply means rest, repose. So it was the last day of the week uh, before uh, Christ inaugurated the new covenant. It was on what we would consider our Saturday. When we as Christians talk about the Sabbath, we're really talking about the Lord's Day, which is on Sunday. And that transition occurred when Christ rose from uh, the dead. And we see that this transition occurred from this Sabbath on Saturday to uh, the, the Lord's Day on Sunday. Um, in a few passages, for example, Acts 20, verse 7, on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked to them. So talking about first day of the week, Sunday already, they're worshiping. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 16, verse 2, on the first day of every week, each one of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collection when I come. So Paul's saying, look, you're, you're already getting together on the first day of the week on Sunday. So when you come together on the first day of the week, Take up a collection each week, so when I come, you don't have to have this massive collection. You've already got everything collected. So again, the people are already worshiping on the first day of the week. And then uh, it's called the Lord's Day because the Apostle John in Revelation 1.10 wrote, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. So Sunday had come to be known as the Lord's Day. It was the day on which Christians worship the Lord. And we might ask why, uh, because when the resurrection hit, it was, it was so amazing. <laughs> Christians couldn't help but just gather together and worship on the Lord's Day. And B.B. Warfield, in his uh, little speech, uh, The Foundations of the Sabbath and the Word of God, said this, Christ took the Sabbath into the grave with him, so think of the Jewish Sabbath, and brought the Lord's Day out of the grave with him on the resurrection morn. 
or another way of looking at it, Christians worship God on Sunday now because on the Lord's, on the Sabbath, the Jewish Sabbath, Christ went into the grave and he was in the grave, signifying that day's dead and done with, and it's over. And on Sunday, he was raised from the dead, which tells us this is the day we're going to now worship uh, God on. And so as Christians, we've been worshiping the Lord uh, together on Sundays all around the world since the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is all true enough, but there's much more uh, to it. A lot of maybe most questions uh, surrounding the fourth commandment have to do with what is the day supposed to look like and finding two Christians who com agree completely on how the Lord's day should be observed uh, might be the most futile search ever undertaken. You're not likely to find two such believers. It's a, it's a commandment that has maybe more ink has been spilled over this commandment than any other commandment of the 10. Uh, pastors are no exceptions to this either. Uh, you'll find pastors of uh, nearly identical doctrinal um, convictions serving in uh, the same denominations in some cases who vary widely on how do we observe the Lord's Day? How do we deal with this fourth commandment? We know what it was like for in the Jewish context, what the Lord was asking them to do and how strict it was. You pick up sticks. One person even died picking up sticks. So very strict. But then we come to the new covenant and we've entered into Christ's rest. And we're no longer looking at a Jewish Sabbath, but we're dealing with the Lord's Day and what is the Lord calling us to on that day. And there's a lot of uh, interpretation that goes on and a lot of different answers. When I was growing up in church, I wasn't a believer until 26, but I was raised in the church, baptized in the church, catechized. And I was in a tradition where we looked at the Heidelberg Catechism frequently. So you heard uh, sermons on the fourth commandment often. And, and I think many of us have uh, under, uh, undergone that as well. And I always kept a mental note because it fascinated me that when pastors preach, it's a, a thus saith the Lord thing. So it's binding on us. And yet I heard so many different interpretations of the fourth commandment. To me, it just became confusing and almost uh, entertaining. Uh, I, I actually made mental lists. And this past week, I was thinking about it just by way of introduction. Like, what are all the things that people think about it and things I've heard from the pulpit and the catechism classes? And here's some of the things. See if you can make sense of it. Regarding travel, you shouldn't travel on Sundays. That's been taught. If you travel, you shouldn't fill up with gas on Sundays. If you travel on Sundays, it should only be to attend worship, not travel for leisure or enjoyment. Or it's fine to travel on Sundays. Heard all of those. Probably most of us have too. Regarding recreation, you cannot kick a soccer ball on Sunday because that is recreation. You cannot play organized sports on Sunday. You can play all sorts of sports on Sunday and enjoy them, but you cannot attend sporting events. You can attend sporting events on Sunday and play organized sports on Sunday, but just don't miss worship. Or you can attend sporting events on Sunday and play organized sports on Sunday, but just don't make a habit of it. Regarding sports television, you shouldn't watch sports on television on Sunday, or you can watch as many sports on television on Sundays as you would like. Shopping, you shouldn't go to a store on Sundays. If you go to a store on Sunday, it should only be for those things which absolutely you cannot live without. There's nothing wrong with going to the store on Sunday, or you shouldn't shop on Sundays for enjoyment. Regarding work, which is a big one, you shouldn't plant or harvest on Sundays, speaking of farming. If you plant or harvest on Sundays, it should only be done when church isn't being held. You can plant on or harvest on Sunday when the weather forecast suggests it will be your only opportunity to do the work to support your family, then it becomes a work of necessity. So again, all these various things that were taught authoritatively and and so from the pulpit, uh, leave almost your mind just spinning, but they, they can't all be right, right? They're, they contradict each other. They're very different. Uh, in fact, in our previous church, 
Um, we were looking at coming into the OPC. We were part of an independent group of believers, and uh, we looked at coming to the OPC, then the PCA, and eventually ended with ARPC. But as we were going through the process of uh, coming into the OPC, uh, we were one, one of our elders actually had a job which required him to work on quite a few Sundays, traveling, and then he'd have to work all day Sunday when he was gone. And we were told that there's some people who would not accept that. And so in order for us to come to the OPC, he had, he had to get a new job. But there were other pastors who said it just fine. Part of the same denomination, they signed the same doctrinal statement, but again, uh, very, uh, very different interpretations of Sunday. Uh, napping. You should physically rest and sleep on Sunday. The Lord's Day is honored by our napping and relaxing. If you don't physically rest on Sunday, then all of your thoughts and actions and words should be focused on worshiping the Lord. Or napping and relaxing on Sunday is not keeping the Lord's Day. That is just lazy. The day should be spent entirely in worship. I remember thinking when I heard that, I'm just worn out even thinking about doing that. That's just a lot of work on Sunday. Homework. You cannot do your homework on Sunday. One take. Another take. If you do your homework on Sunday, it can only be for Bible class. Another take, there is nothing wrong with doing your homework on Sunday, just enjoy doing it. Uh, and I remember uh, to add to this, a lady in Orange City, uh, a believer in the church, a delightful Christian lady. Uh, I was talking to her when we were on our internship for three months during the summer there. And she remarked, you know, I, I, I said, hey, how's your neighborhood? How are you doing? Well, I really like my neighbors, but I don't know if they're Christians because this neighbor over here, I saw her mow her lawn on Sunday. And then this neighbor over here, I actually saw her walk into a store on Sunday. So in her mind, based on what she had been taught about Sunday, you couldn't be a Christian and mow your lawn on Sunday or go into a store. And Leslie B. Flynn, uh, Dr. Leslie B. Flynn, wrote uh, a book, a short book, called What the Church Owes the Jews, and mentioned in here something about Sunday, and particularly how Jewish fastidiousness, particularly how the Pharisees so tightly and exhaustingly regulated Sunday, how that spilled down into church life and how we oftentimes do the same, wrote this. Through the years, Sunday observers have been just as much to blame at erecting a wall of restrictions on Sunday practices as the Pharisees were for their Sabbath. At one time, families were not allowed to sweep or dust the house, make the beds, or cook on Sunday. In Scotland in the 17th century, one poor fellow was hailed into court for smiling on Sunday. Around 1875, the city of Evanston, Illinois, included among their Sunday prohibitions a regulation forbidding the sale of ice cream sodas on that day. So some ingenious person thought of serving ice cream with syrup, but no soda water. This Sunday delicacy became quite popular, so that on weekdays, many asked for Sunday. City officials objected to naming the dish after the holy day, so they changed the spelling. Thus, we have Sunday, S-U-N-D-A-E, rather than S-U-N-D-A-Y. And it has been that way ever since. So again, regarding the day, tons of varied interpretations. And uh, after this, you can throw uh, what we're going to look at into that same category of here's another take on it. Uh, but I hope as we walk through this, we can come to see uh, not simply what we cannot do, which is oftentimes where legalistic conversations go. What, what can I not do? But see that God's giving this command to people who've just been delivered out of Egypt when they were in slavery, working seven days a week around the clock. And he says, in my world, <laughs> in the promised land, when you enter into it as my children, I'm giving you a day off in every seven. You, you don't have to do this anymore. You don't have to work. So God's giving them this great commandment, which is part of their freedom and supposed to be for their joy. 
So I'd like to begin really just by looking at quite a few things, but first, on the Lord's day, you're free to rest. So what can we do? On the Lord's day, we are free to rest. So remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. Before we get to the rest part, the not working part, I want to take a look at how it begins. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. So embedded in this commandment to rest is positively a commandment to work for six days. Believers are called to be industrious people. God's given us six days to labor and do what we need to do in order to provide for ourselves and survive in this world. And then he's called us to take one day off. And work is actually a part of life itself. Uh, I know work sometimes has a bad rap. Some people view work as a curse in and of itself. But when God first created Adam and Eve, he created them to work. In fact, before the fall into sin, we're told in Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So there's no sin in the world. Everything's perfect. And we find out why God created Adam to glorify himself, of course. But Adam was going to do that through working and keeping the garden. So work was not originally cursed. Imagine what that would be like. I don't know how many days Adam lived, if it was one or, or a hundred or who knows how long before he fell into sin. But he didn't necessarily need an alarm clock. There was no sweat. There were no thorns and thistles uh, by Adam's work before he fell into sin. Must have been glorious. Those work days must have been incredible. And what a change it was after he fell into sin. Now work is cursed. Uh, and as believers, though our work is cursed, is cursed, it bears thorns, it bears thistles, and we sweat. By the sweat of our brows, we'll eat bread. We'll be tired mentally, physically. Work takes a toll on every human being, Christians included. Though that is the case, uh, we're called to work in order to be self-reliant, aspire to work with your hands so that you may be dependent on no one. We're called to work to provide for our family members. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. We're called to work so we can assist those who have a need. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And then we're called to work to financially support Christians in other geographic locations. First Corinthians 16, take up an offering and I'll come through so I can help support, you can help support the, the Jerusalem Christians. And then we're also called to work so that we can be a good witness to outsiders. Aspire to work with your hands so that you may walk properly before outsiders. A lazy Christian is a bad witness in the world. Non-Christians can look at a lazy Christian and say, that doesn't work. That can't work. So there might be a lot of people who would uh, be much more able to reset their spiritual selves on Sunday if, if, if they worked hard throughout the week. That's a call. We've got to work hard uh, during the week. God's given us that time to do it. On it you shall not do any work. We shall rest. And we're told that the reason God has given us one day off to rest is because on the seventh day of creation, he rested. In six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day, Exodus 20, verse 11. And when we look at Genesis 2, we discover that's the case. So Genesis 2, verse 2, on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done. And we might ask, what does it look like for God to rest? And 
We're actually given a little bit of insight into it in Exodus 31, verse 17. In six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. And that verb refreshed is, uh, means to catch one's breath or refresh oneself. It's the refreshment that comes from pausing and stopping. And so on the seventh day, God, as it were, he, he never grows tired, right? The Almighty does not grow weary or faint. We do, but God doesn't. So it's not like God was out of breath, but here's God refreshing himself, meaning looking at his creation. Everything was very good. And as it were, taking a deep breath and say, ah, I'm glorified. All the creatures are doing what I made them to do. They're doing it perfectly. The stars are out there. All the planets are in their orbit. And God is just glorified and loving it, what he's made. Uh, and he's refreshed in that. And this tells us regarding work, uh, because God rested, that God does not promote workaholism. Even God rested. Jesus said in John 5, we looked at that, my father is working till now and I am working. So God is busy working, but here we're told that he rested, he refreshed himself. So God is not interested in creating a people that are just all about work, 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 money, 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 producing, producing, producing. He says, I've given you six days to do that, but not seven. You don't have seven days out of the week to do everything. You've got six days to do it, and I want you to take a day off. So rest then is what we all need. God knows it, and he commands us to uh, do it. Um, in fact, we, we, hear, we hear that Psalm 127, verse 2, it is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. And in Mark 6, 31, Jesus said to the apostles, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. The apostles were overwhelmed with needs. People needed to be healed. They needed to be ministered to. And in the midst of these huge crowds, so many people around the apostles with Jesus that they couldn't even eat. He said, it's time to get away. When, when there's so many needs to fulfill, Yep, it's time to take a break. And so Jesus says, we gotta get out of here. So beloved God calls us to work. And indeed there is a great call to work, but he calls us to rest as well. There's a time to work, there's a time to rest. Let me just pause for a moment and just think about a few things with you. Look, we live in a tired world, a world where there is no rest. There are external demands on everybody. There are also internal demands uh, it's hard for the soul to find rest and peace so that people can actually have a vacation and be resting physically, but they lay in bed awake at night. And they may be going somewhere else on a vacation with nothing externally to do, but there's no internal peace. There's no rest. And so this world is filled with people who are just absolutely worn out. And I was surprised actually to see an author call the millennial generation, the tired generation, physically and mentally exhausted particularly because of technology, where a lot of people are on their phones ingesting tons of information and it's affecting all of us, right? As probably most of us have a cell phone, most of us have information at our disposal, which 100 years ago we didn't. And it's hard to figure out what's important, what's not important, what do I need to address, what affects my life and what is just unimportant. I don't even have time to pray for it, I've got enough on my prayer plate and it doesn't affect me at all. And so we're bombarded with all this stuff and it's hard to rest mentally and physically even to just shut it off. 
And God knows that we are only capable of so much. And so he gives us a day indeed to rest. We shouldn't be surprised that the world is tired. Isaiah 40, even youths shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. In fact, believers, Psalm 38, 10, can be worn out as well. My heart throbs, my strength fails me, and the light of my eyes, it has gone from me. 2 Corinthians 1, 8 to 9, we are so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Every human being needs to rest. You can go seven days a week and burn yourself out and be absolutely undone. It won't be good for you physically, but it won't be good for any of us spiritually. And God says to his people, you got six days to go work, do it. Go work hard. In America, we have usually a five-day work week. Saturday's a different kind of day. Sunday, God says, come, get together with my people, worship me, take a breath, remember what's important, and then you'll be ready for the next six days. So let me just mention briefly, in Israel, what had taken place was instead of using the Sabbath to rest, people were actually abiding with the Sabbath begrudgingly, and they really wanted to get back to work and make money. And in Amos 8, 4 to 6, we're told, Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, When will the new moon be over, that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath, that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great, and deal deceitfully with false balances, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and sell the chaff of the wheat? God, the Lord's indicting these people because they say, I can't stand Sunday. <laughs> well, in their day, I can't stand the Sabbath. I don't like this Saturday. Sunday through Friday, I can make money off these people who come into my marketplace. I can change the weights and I can steal a ton and I can end the, every week richer and richer and richer. And that's all I really care about. I don't, I'm tired of these new moons. I'm tired of these festivals. I don't want these Sabbaths. I don't want a day off every week. I could make, I can make what? 15% uh, more profit if I had seven days out of the week rather than only six. And the Lord indicts them, saying, you're, you're missing something radical here. I've given you a day off. You need this spiritually. You need to come into my courts and worship me. And beloved, it's, it's always a temptation, always going to be a temptation, maybe especially in a town like Pella, to say, no, life is all about making money. It's all about working hard, as hard as you can. And Sunday is just a blip in the road. It's more like a speed bump. It's, it's kind of a pain in the neck. And it'd be nice if it went away, but check, we'll do it because we feel like we have to. And God says, uh, no, you actually need to do this because you need it. You, you need a pause and to remember what life is all about. So on the Lord's day, we are free to rest. The second thing I want us to notice is that on the Lord's day, we are free to worship. And I'm drawing this from Acts 2.42, sort of a snippet into the life of the early church. And it gives us a good picture of what worship looks like. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. So what can we do on Sunday? Devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, which comes down to us in the form of the New Testament. That's the apostles' teaching. So in this, we learn of God. On Sundays, we can come together as God's people. We can do it at home. Wherever it is that we're growing in the Lord and seeking to worship Him, we can do this by reading the Word of God. That's what God's given us Sunday for, to hear about who He is, what He's done for us in Christ, how we're called to respond to this by believing in Jesus and by offering our lives in response to the gospel and obedience. 
Uh, so this is not just preaching, but it's also just plain studying the Bible. So the early Christians, when they got together on Sundays, they're studying the Bible. They're reading it. They're having somebody read it to them because there's probably only one copy of it uh, for the church. And they're memorizing it and they're soaking in it because that's what they'll carry with them through the rest of the week. So that's part of what we do on Sunday. In fact, in the early church, even Paul wrestled with uh, having the Bible. 2 Timothy 4.13, when you come bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books and above all the parchments. So Paul's like, hey, maybe a little bit short on books of the Bible here. <laughs> Why don't you bring them to me? So again, when people came together on Sunday, very few people had Bibles in their houses. Sunday's the day when you read the word, when you studied it, when you could hear it, when you could meditate on it when you could be confronted with this truths, many of which you've never even heard before because you can't read this as a Jew Monday through Friday. This is something that, that you've only got available to you in, in worship and on, on, as a Christian on the Lord's Day on Sunday. So something else which we're free to do in worship is fellowship, uh, sharing life uh, together. So uh, they devoted themselves to the fellowship and Hebrews 10 kind of unfolds this uh, with these words, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So part of fellowship, fellowship kind of has two aspects. One aspect is to enjoy the company of someone else. The other aspect is to partnership with them to accomplish other things. So when we get together, an aspect of our fellowship is actually partnering together to accomplish something. What do we need to accomplish? Encouraging each other, stirring one another up to loving good works, making sure that each of us is serving the Lord and is encouraged as we serve the Lord. So seeking each other out when we're discouraged, when we see somebody discouraged, hey, how's it going? How you doing? What's going on in your life? And then trying to encourage one another so we don't just walk away from the Lord so we don't live this week just absolutely discouraged, absolutely all alone, thinking that there's no way to get through it. But God said, look, get together and worship and fellowship. And you're gonna have to partner together to actually make it to that finish line. You're gonna have to encourage one another, even daily, would say the author of Hebrews, in order to make it to that finish line. That's part of the work of fellowship. And encouraging one another in our outreach, in the difficulties in our life, whatever it may be. But the other part of fellowship is just enjoying one another's company talking with each other, how are you doing? Hearing each other's priorities, getting to know each other, that's all part of fellowship and we're free to do that on the Lord's day. And also the breaking of bread, that's part of the Lord's supper or sharing a meal or maybe both, actually a reference to both, uh, which was common in the early church. You do the Lord's supper and then you'd share a meal afterwards. Uh, that's, that's what we're free to do on Sunday and also prayers. They voted themselves to the prayers. What a day for praying. You know, all throughout the week, we probably randomly see each other. Maybe we have each other over. But, you know, Sunday we get together. God's people all over the world get together. <laughs> and we've got time usually. Many of us have the day off of work entirely. We don't have any time where we ever have to work on Sunday unless work is going berserk and crazy and we have to be there. What a day to pray. Just get together. How you doing? Let's, let's pray together. I haven't seen you all week. I haven't talked to you for a month. Let's pray for each other right now. Let's pray with each other. It's a great day uh, for that. So we're free to worship the Lord by studying the word, fellowshipping together, doing the Lord's Supper and, and praying. 
And something else I want to look at is on the Lord's Day, we're free to do mercy and works of necessity. So uh, uh, the confessions make clear the, the Heidelberg Catechism, especially works of mercy and necessity. Uh, some people's jobs require that they work on Sunday. Think of uh, pastors all around the world. They're working on Sunday. The Sunday is not a day off for them. Uh, you can think of police officers. Uh, they're still patrolling. You can think of doctors and nurses. They're still caring for people in the hospitals. You can think there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of uh, even works of necessity. There's people who, who need their job in order to support their family. The job requires them to work on Sunday. That becomes for them a work of necessity. I have to do this. I, otherwise, I lose my job, I'm unemployed, and I can't provide for those who I'm supposed to provide for. So there are works of necessity. We're free to do those on Sunday. And there's also works of mercy, which is maybe where I want to go more. Um, the Pharisees did not understand this. And sometimes as Christians, we can forget this, maybe especially in, uh, in our reform circles. In John 5, Jesus healed the invalid who'd been invalid for 38 years, and he did it on the Sabbath. He could have done it on Friday before the Jewish Sabbath. He could have done it on Sunday after it, but he did it right on the Jewish Sabbath to, to make a confrontation and to make a point. And he made his point and it upset the leaders because they didn't want him healing on the Sabbath. The man picked up his mat and carried it. They said, that's a violation of the Sabbath. You can't do that. But Jesus is telling everybody something about what Sunday, the Lord's Day now, uh, is supposed to be about. And in Matthew 12, verse 11, there was a man with a withered hand. And Jesus asked, which of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And he said to the man with the withered hand, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored healthy like the other hand. And the Pharisees were really ticked off. And Jesus said in that, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath to do works of mercy. You pull your sheep out. There, were some law, there was a law in particular that I, I read, I didn't write it down here, where the Jewish understanding of observing the Sabbath was if somebody had been crushed by a load under a wall, you didn't necessarily pull them out because that might be work, but you were supposed to dig down and find out how they were doing. And if they could make it until Sunday, the next day, not the Sabbath day, you're supposed to leave them. But if they looked like their lives were in danger, then you were allowed to pull them out. That's how detailed and fastidious and crazy their Sabbath laws had gotten. And Jesus is saying, look, works of mercy, go ahead and do it. And let me, let me just work with this briefly before we move on to the next thing. What better day to help the poor and the needy and those who need ministering to than on a Sunday afternoon instead of napping, although if we're napping and we're worn out, we should go take a nap and get some rest because Sunday is a day even of physical rest too, and that's good. What a great day to go out and help people, to figure out who are the, who are the widows, who are the orphans, who are the people who have needs, and we can get together a work group or maybe as a family we go do this, or as an individual we go out and we just, we help people. God's get, most of us again have the day off, we have nothing on our schedules other than what we want to put on them. And Sunday as a day for mercy is a great day to go and do this very work and, uh, and, and honor the Lord in, in obeying the Sabbath uh, that way. So again, just food for thought. We're free to do works of necessity and we're free to do works of mercy. And then uh, the, the next thing, and the second to the last thing is, we're free to enjoy the Lord's day as it fits you. You're free to enjoy the Lord's day as it fits you or as it fits us. And I'm getting this from Mark chapter two, verses 23 through 28. 
One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God? And in the time of Abiathar the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So technically, the disciples harvested grain on the Sabbath. They plucked heads of grain, harvesting. They were eating it. The Pharisees caught this, and they said, how is it that you can let them do this? Jesus tells them a story about David out of Samuel, and then at the end of it, he concludes, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, meaning human beings were not made to fit some sort of Sabbath box as if conforming to some Sabbath norm was the purpose of man. Rather, it's the opposite. The Sabbath was made for man. The Sabbath was made to benefit and to bless man. Which is why Paul can say in Colossians 2.16, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. God's given you the Lord's day as a gift. He's given it to man to enjoy, to be benefited by. The Sabbath is supposed to be a blessing. And in so many Christian circles, the Sabbath has actually become a burden, like a chore, like I hate Sunday. Why? Because I, I don't know what to do with it. I'm afraid what everybody else is going to say. And Paul says, don't let anybody pass judgment on you. If, if other people want to come and impose their Sabbath convictions and opinions on you, when you're not violating anything in the Word of God regarding the Sabbath, ignore it. Don't let them pass judgment on you. Don't let that bother you. Every Christian is free of their own convictions to obey the Lord regarding the Lord's day uh, as they see fit from the word of God by their own uh, conscience. So there is Christian freedom to observe the day differently and bring honor and glory to the Lord in equal measure. Uh, that's, that's appropriate to say, look, I thank you for telling me what your thoughts are on the Lord's day and how you think I'm violating it. I disagree with you, here's why. You're free to hold your opinion, I'm free to hold mine and we can actually serve the Lord together, and uh, we'll just serve the Lord together disagreeing on this. And then finally, with this we conclude, on the Lord's day, we are required, not free to, but required to reflect on salvation in Christ. And I get this from Deuteronomy 5.15, where the Ten Commandments are repeated, and the commandment regarding the Sabbath is a bit different. Here's the difference. In Exodus 20, the basis for the Sabbath commandment was in six days, the Lord your God made the heavens and the earth, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, he made this day holy. So we are called to work six and take one off because that's what God did at creation. That was the structure of his week. In Deuteronomy 5, verse 15, the reason changes. Here's the reason why we have to remember the Sabbath. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So the, the Lord's day is also a day to reflect on the salvation that God has given us in Christ. For the Israelites, the Lord said, look, when Sunday hit, when Saturday in their day hit, when the Jewish Sabbath hits, I want you to remember you were slaves in Egypt. Don't forget it. And I brought you out with my mighty hand, my outstretched arm. You came out by the blood of the lamb I want you to meditate and think about that whole thing. You came out miraculously. I delivered you out of this horrendous slavery. 
You were under the thumb of the Egyptians. There was no way out. You had horrible taskmasters. They were working you literally to death, killing off your children because they don't want you to grow any farther. And I took you out. You couldn't get out on your own. I came to deliver you. Now, we were not slaves in Egypt. We never were. But we were slaves in sin. We were slaves to the world. We were slaves to the passions of our flesh. And the devil had full control over us, as it were. And God wants us on Sunday, the Lord's Day, to pause and remember, I pulled you out of that slavery. I sent my son into the world, and he bought you off the slave market, as it were, with the price of his blood. You were a slave, you were under a different owner, and Christ came in and said, that one's mine. And here's the price payment. And he goes to the cross and pays it, and it cost him blood, cost him his life, cost him undergoing the wrath of God in our place. And the Lord said on the Lord's day, I want you to think about that. I want you to remember it. Because all throughout the week, you're gonna hear different messages. All throughout the week, the world is gonna try and make you think that you're the center of the world and that you're the hero or that someone else is the hero. But on the Lord's day, I want you to get together with other believers and remember who the hero is, the triune God, the son incarnate, Jesus Christ. He's the hero, he's the savior. And he's the one that God has created all of us to worship and adore. So, beloved, just one quick comment. We're free to do a lot on the Lord's Day to make it a day of deeds of mercy, a day of rest, a day of worship, a day which benefits you spiritually, and a day in which you can reflect upon what God has done for you in Christ. And I hope we can enjoy the day. It's a gift from the Lord. Let's pray.